0: Well, we're entering our our home stretch on our our series on the book of First Peter, and there's just three messages left. This one and the next two, and that's one of the reasons why I am going into May so we can finish out the book and I don't leave you hanging the last uh, couple of uh, few verses, the last half of chapter five. And and this week we do get to chapter five of First Peter. We're going to look at leadership. It's a, it's a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. I've studied leadership all of my life, ever since I was a teenager, as a Boy Scout, and then later as a junior officer in the military, and then later as a, as a chaplain and, and, and serving. And leadership is something that I, I think is extremely important. I'm a, 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 a devotee, a, a disciple, I guess you could say. I studied John Maxwell for years, even before John was very popular and in all the bookstores and stuff. I was listening to his Enjoy Life Club tapes. And... You know, leadership is, is something, you know, John has a, has a habit of saying that everything rises and falls on leadership. And during my final uh, tour in the Navy, I was uh, the leader for a, for a ministry team uh, of the Atlantic Fleet, about 25,000 sailors and Marines. We were responsible for it. I had over 50 chaplains working under me. As we ministered to those sailors and Marines, um, meeting theirs and their families' uh, spiritual needs, their, their other needs there. So... Leadership is extremely, extremely important. Some of you may say, my leadership days are over. I'm in that part of my life where I'm not really leading anymore. But I encourage you to listen up because you've got kids, you've got grandkids. Some of them are here this morning. I can see them. And, and this, is, this is particularly a message that I think is appropriate to share. Tell them about the podcast. Um, let them know about it. Because these leadership principles that you're going to see apply to all of us throughout our life. I used to have what I called four uh, East expectations of my chaplains that I mentored. And the number one expectation I had of my chaplains was one simple word, and that word was lead. And a a lot of the chaplains I found didn't really understand that. John Maxwell says leadership is influence. And the military understands leadership. In fact, they don't like the word, uh, the word management. We don't manage people in the military. We say we lead them. Uh, when, when we took Deming's management methods, we changed it from total quality management to total quality leadership because leadership is so important in that context. And I wanted my chaplains to understand the importance of leading. And I would take Maxwell's uh, definition of leadership being influence, and, and I told him, if, if you're a pastor, priest, imam, or rabbi in my Navy, and you don't want to influence people, then I seriously wonder, why are you here? Why are you here? If you're, if you're, if you're here, you should be one to influence people. So, lead. I had a chaplain call me uh, about a year ago. This, this guy had served in, in, in Iraq, was dealing with some difficulties from his tours in Iraq and in the past. And he called and he said, chaplain, he I just want you to remember. You know, he, I had helped recruit this kid, and then I had him. He worked for me during his first tour of duty. But he said, I want you to remember, I remember your expectations, and I remember that you want people to lead. So anyway, let's go on to the, to the scripture here. Peter starts off here in chapter 5, and he says this, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And then he gives a command, he gives an imperative there in, in, in verse 2. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. Now, most of us, if we've been in church any amount of time, when we, when we see this where it says uh, elders, we, we seem to think of, of church language and, and church lingo and, and church circles. An elder today is pretty much a part of the, the leadership board of a church or in a pastoral role. We well, need to understand when this was written 2,000 years ago, when Peter was writing this, it was a very different world than we have today. You had little to no mobility, and because you lacked mobility, you lived most of your life within a smaller geographic region than, than most of us do. I mean, if we sat here and went around the room here in Force Hall this morning, we'd find people from all over the world. Sky Valley brings people here from all over the place. But because you lacked mobility back then, you lived most of your life in this limited geographic area. And so your churches were, were normally and usually neighborhood churches. And you, you couldn't get in your chariot and drive to a church. You certainly, you know, we didn't have cars. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have online services and that stuff. And, and the churches were quite small. And actually, you'd be, most people are shocked to realize that the, 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 the average church size in the United States today is 80 people. 80 people in the United States today. So, you could say we're above average here usually, way above average in non COVID peak season. So, they were quite small. And in the early church, we have to remember it was also illegal to gather in many cases, as in this case here, we're, we're talking about Peter's writing to persecuted churches, to, to churches that are under, under threat from the Roman government. So, you have no mobility and, and, and it's illegal. And so, guess where you're going to spend most of your church services? Probably where? In a home in a home or a house, and, and so they met mostly in house churches, and that's not because it's a better model, but it's because that was the option that they had, and the thing we under, need to understand back then is, if you have a house church, do you have this elaborate governance system? Do you have this governing board? Probably not. You've probably got 10 or 15 people meeting in this, in this house church, and when you say we're gonna have a board meeting, well, that means everybody's everybody there. That's what, your, that's what your board is, and so a couple of thousand years ago, the word elder was, was not this legal or technical term that we have today in our, in our culture, and it was also a culture, this is an Eastern culture rather than a Western culture, it was a culture where age and maturity was respected. It's a little different than our Western or American-influenced culture, the people with, with age, people with maturity were respected at a different level than they are in our culture. And so elders could include older people who gave leadership to anything. And so when you and I read this passage today, what we need to think of is not just those in professional ministry. It's really anybody who gives spiritual leadership. It includes those people, but it also, I'm going to submit to you, it also includes all of us. Because I believe that all of us, especially if we're a Christ follower, I hope that you are seeking to influence people. I hope you're seeking to lead people. Now, what we're gonna discover is that these principles of how to be a leader in a house church or in any area of ministry back then, it applies to how to be a leader in a massive church, in a tiny church, or how to be a leader in your business, how to be a leader in your community, how to be a leader in your home, how to be a leader if you've got a little league team that you're coaching. It's how to lead anywhere. These biblical principles we're going to see are, are they're, they're aimed at spiritual leaders. That's who Peter was and who he's writing to. But they frankly apply to anybody that's seeking to lead, anybody that's that's seeking to influence folks. Because God's principles of leadership, they speak to the human condition. They will work anywhere. Now they won't make you right with God, okay? Because you can you can be a really great leader and still be in trouble with God, right? With God, it's a it's a heart it's a heart thing there. You can be a great leader, and you could even lead people in the wrong direction as a, as a great leader. We've had examples of leaders that have led people in the wrong direction. But Peter's writing to people who are on the right path, leading for the right purposes. And as we le- read this letter from 2,000 years ago, looking at the stuff that applies to us, it's right where we live. So I encourage you to buckle up, take those life notes, that half sheet of paper that you were given when you came in, and, and take a few notes here. So let's read the rest of these verses and see what, what Peter has to say to us. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, it means that you're watching over them. He says, And not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. You might want to circle that word serve there. We're going to talk about that later. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Four simple verses, but they're packed with incredible insight. And I want to unpack this in light of what Peter specifically says in these verses and in light of what the rest of Scripture says about leadership. As if we were sitting down and having a cup of coffee, and, and you told me, hey, Walt, you know, I'm, I, I've now got this new job at, at work, and I'm supervising people. I've always just kind of been the worker bee, and now I've got people under my, under my authority that I need to take care of. Or, or you say, Walt, I've, I've got a soccer team or, or a little league baseball team that, that I, that I want to be a good coach for, and this is something that's, that's new to me. I want to share with you today some practical wisdom uh, in in terms of of how all this works out in in the very real day-to-day terms. And I want to give you some relevant things that you could share, as I said, with your kids, with your grandkids, as they lead and as they exert influence in their lives. So to lead well, what are we going to need? Well, the first thing that I think we, we need is we're going to need to think like a shepherd. We're going to need to think like a shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock among you. Now here's the problem. When I say think like a shepherd, how many of you have been shepherds in your life? And I'm not necessarily counting, you know, that little lamb that you raised for the 4-H project. You might get half credit for that. But how many of you have been shepherds? The problem is we really don't know shepherds. We don't have shepherds among us today. So, so we need to go back and understand that, that, that he's writing this in an agrarian or a, or a flock oriented society. So when we hear to think like a shepherd, it's like, well, what does that mean? So let me take some time and I wanna really dig into this, what it, what it means when he says shepherd the flock among you. The first thing about a shepherd is this. When it comes to thinking like a shepherd, You're thinking about the sheep far more than you're thinking about you. Thinking about the sheep far more than you're thinking about yourself. You see, what we don't necessarily get is back then, the shepherd was there living with the sheep. The shepherd was out in the fields with the sheep during the evening. And when the predators would come, there was danger. You know, the sheep were defenseless. They had no way to protect themselves. It was up to the shepherd to protect them. In fact, if you want to write down three words that are, that are part of shepherding, you can write these three words down in your notes. You protect, you provide, and you guide. You protect, you provide, and you guide. It was the shepherd's job to protect the sheep. It was the shepherd's job to provide for the sheep. And it was the shepherd's job job to guide them where they would go to the to the greener pastures where when the seasons would change to guide them to where the water was so that they could drink we're going to talk about that to guide them to either a higher or lower elevation depending upon the seasons now Jesus the great shepherd said this in John chapter 10 he said I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep so when he sees the wolf coming," He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is stressing this, this emphasis, this idea of protecting the sheep. Back then, they, they would have shepherds that, that owned their own flocks. But then they would also have some richer guys that owned a bunch of flocks, and they were too busy or they had too many flocks to, to lead the sheep themselves, so they would hire hands. Jesus was pointing out that these mercenary shepherds, they weren't the same as shepherds that actually owned the sheeps themselves. Think about it. All of us um, love kids, right, in general, hopefully, maybe still. You take greater care of your own kids. You think that you take just as great of my kids as you would yours, but, but in reality, our kids come first, Right those of us that have children. Well, it's the same thing with sheep. Your your sheep come first, but if they aren't your sheep, Jesus is saying, hey, that guy's going to bail when the going gets tough if he doesn't like it. He says, I lay down my life for my sheep, which is, he's saying here, and they they don't understand yet that this is what he's going to literally be doing later when he does lay down his life for us. Now, most of us, I believe, it's, it, it's kind of a cultural icon. Most of us are familiar with Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. And we see these three concepts of protecting, providing, and guiding in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down where? In green pastures. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. In paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow. And and I love in in the literally Hebrew there, it's the concept of pursue. Goodness and mercy or goodness and love are going to pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is a psalm written by David, the great king of Israel. David, who himself was a shepherd. Before he was a king, he was a shepherd. He learned a lot out there, a lot of leadership lessons while he was out there taking care of the sheep. And he's writing this psalm as a, as a former shepherd about how the Lord shepherded him. And it's become one of the probably best known passages of Scripture out of our Bible. So let's look at, let's look at some, some practical traits that we can pull from this psalm that shows what it means to think like a shepherd, to provide, to protect, to guide. Four traits that'll, that'll show that you're thinking like a shepherd. The first one I've already mentioned is this. It's always about the sheep, not the shepherd. If I'm thinking like a mercenary, it's about me. If I'm thinking truly as a leader, whether it's a church or a company, whether it's people I'm supervising, whether it's folks I'm coaching on a, on a ball team, if I'm thinking like a shepherd, I'm thinking outside myself. I'm thinking about my team, the people that I've got under my care. I'm thinking about the group there. It's always about the sheep, not the shepherd. Now I need a little sidebar here because there are times and, and places where, where people have burned themselves out trying to take care of the sheep. You know what I'm talking about? It's easy to get burned out. It's, it's easy to get what, what we used to call in the military, compassion fatigue. And our culture has swung a little bit toward an emphasis on something called self-care. But I think sometimes we swim way, the pendulum swings way too far. Now, I did have, originally have three east expectations and I added the fourth one. The fourth one was self-care because I noticed that my chaplains weren't taking time to take care of themselves and you can't pump water out of a dry well. But, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can be all self-absorbed and it's all about you. You need to take time, you need to have boundaries because everybody's gonna tell you, happens here at Sky Valley, everybody's gonna tell you to slow down, but you know what? They don't really mean it. Everybody's going to tell you we well, you can't solve everybody's problems, but they still want you to solve their problems. And so the point is to have some boundaries and, and take time for self-care, but, but guard against self-centeredness. Self-care means that you take care of yourself and not that you can continue to serve. It doesn't mean that you swing the pendulum so far that you're the center of the universe. Otherwise, we become less and less effective in leadership. And you see this. You can see this in politics. You see this in the business world. Sadly, you can see it oftentimes in the ministry world as well. You see it in families. Because we've forgotten it's not about the shepherd. It's about taking care of the sheep. Number two, the second trait is this. It means that I'm willing, it means I'm willing to be misunderstood. If I'm thinking like a shepherd, I'm willing to be misunderstood. My goal in leadership is not that everybody likes me or everybody loves me. Now, that's not everybody's cut out. This is hard for some people because, you know, I like to be liked. I like to be loved. But as a leader, sometimes I've got to put that aside and do the right thing and make the right decisions to speak the truth in love, so to say, to be willing to confront someone if I I need to. Now, if everybody hates me, then I'm in trouble. It sets me up for a coup. But as a leader, we need to be willing to be misunderstood. Take the example of parenting. Did you ever see a mom or dad that just wanted to be a best friend to their teenager? You know, what a foolish thing, I think. You know, I mean, you're welcome to disagree with me, but I just think it's very foolish to think that you can be the best friend. You can be a friend to your teenager, but you can't be a parent and a best friend at the same time. You can't be an effective parent and a best friend. Or as a boss. As a boss, you can be close to, you can love, you can fellowship with, you can, you can socialize with, but when push comes to shove to making decisions, there's a difference between the person who has the responsibility and the person who doesn't. In leadership, if your whole goal is to go to bed at night so everybody says that you're the coolest guy or the, the coolest gal in the world, you're going to be ineffective in whatever it is that God's asked you to lead. It won't work because leadership is not a popularity contest. We mistake that sometimes. We sometimes think leadership is a popularity contest. If you're gonna lead, you're gonna have to be able to live with with low-level frustration. You can't lead without low-level frustration. And by this, I don't mean you being frustrated at other people. I mean people are gonna be frustrated with you. You have to be willing to live with some people being frustrated with you. They're not necessarily gonna like you. They're not necessarily gonna like the decisions that you make or, or what you do. You can cast vision you can explain certain things to a degree but the saying is true that it's lonely at the top as a parent those of you that have children did did any of your kids figure out that they need? you know they just woke up one morning and said hey you know what i need to brush my teeth you know they figure that out before you did no you had to tell them to brush their teeth how about take a nap i'm at an age now where i naturally like naps especially on sunday afternoons naps are good But I didn't know that when I was a little tyke. My mom had to tell me, you got to take a nap. What about telling your kids that they needed to do their homework before the last minute? You know, don't wait until the last minute to write that paper. Kids don't necessarily know that, and the people we're leading don't necessarily know such types of things. You see, just as something as simple and basic as, as being a good parent it's going to be hard at times you've got to lead your people you've got to lead folks where they don't necessarily want to go and guess what's going to happen you're going to be misunderstood remember the 23rd psalm he leads me beside the quiet or still waters and we're going to talk about that in detail in a minute but it also says there it says he makes me he makes me to lie down in green pat now wait a minute what does make me sound like you're having to force, you're having to coerce, you're having to co- conjole someone to, to, to do something that they don't want to do. And if you've ever had a toddler that doesn't want to lie down and take a nap, you know what I'm talking about there. He knows that sheep want to keep going. No, 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 we're not stopping. Right? Oh, I want to go on. And nope, we're stopping here. We've got to stop here. There's reasons. And then, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Well, why are they walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Because the shepherd is leading them. The shepherd is guiding them. The shepherd knows where they need to go because the sheep have no idea where they need to go. And so he's leading them through it. You get to the mountaintop through the valleys. You don't climb straight up the sheer cliffs. Philip Keller wrote a number of books, and probably his most famous book was A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And I've read, I've read all of his books. They're very wonderful, practical things, applying nature and stuff like that to, to the gospel and, and all. But in it, he tells, in the, in the Shepherd Looks at, he tells a story about sheep dipping. And it's where the shepherd take the sheep and they walk them up a plank and then down through a, like a vat or, or through a, a, a thing that can, that holds this, this stuff that they dip them in, this liquid, and it stings their eyes. It, 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 can, it can hurt them. And there's some pita people and all that that don't want to be used and all that kind of stuff and all. But because of the way that shepherds and farmers use to protect the sheep, they do this for uh, infestation to, to keep the uh, itch mites and blow flies, ticks and lice. I'm not a shepherd so I don't have all that memorized. But in the midst of doing that, the sheep have no idea what in the world is going on. And have any of you parents ever had to do something that your child may not have liked, but you had to do it for their own good? I remember back when I was about eight or nine years old in Savannah, Georgia, my, uh, my mom gave my brothers and I um, some roller skates. This is the old-fashioned type, you know, the metal ones that you got to put on over your shoes on Christmas we got roller skates and this was like a really cool thing and my brother Joe who was two years younger than me he said hey Walt give me a push so you know we're on my grandparents driveway and I gave Joe a push and I guess it was a little bit too hard because Joe fell forward and his tongue was between his teeth when his jaw hit the ground and his head you know came like that and my mom one of my mom's favorite stories she used to tell before she died was how she had to stand stay there with the internist in the hospital Holding my brother's tongue together while the guy stitched Joe's tongue together now. He recovered fully He's an attorney in South Georgia does very well He uses his tongue every day for a living so I didn't wreck his career But sometimes you have to do things that your kids don't understand. Why are you doing this? You know why are you letting this guy, you know pick this needle through my tongue? You have to be willing to be misunderstood thirdly It means that I'm willing to adapt to their limitations. I'm willing to adapt to their limitations. In the 23rd Psalm, he talks about the good shepherd. He leads me beside the still or the quiet waters. Now here's what you need to know about sheep. Sheep, just like us, they need to drink. And the water is is just as good. In fact, water is usually pure when it is running water. But sheep are afraid of running water. They don't like to, to drink from a stream that's moving. They don't like that. So what a shepherd has to do is a shepherd has to find quiet water. A shepherd has to find still water or dam up the waters so that it makes it like a little pool that the sheep can drink out of. Otherwise, the sheep gets spooked by the running water and they won't get the hydration they need and they could die even though the water is right there in front of them. And that's such a perfect picture of, a, of another part of leadership was, is, which is adapting to the weaknesses of those that you're leading. You know, leadership is, is the art of the possible, not the art of the ideal. You know, maybe they should drink that water that's moving, but you've got to make it quiet water before they drink. And that principle works in leadership. The principle works if you've got a bunch of kids, you're coaching on a little league team. For one year, uh, I was an assistant coach for a girls' softball team. Only did it once. And um, if you're coaching a little league team, you would expect that those kids are going to be concentrating on every play. They're gonna expect that they're gonna be paying attention. You're gonna expect that they're going to listen to Coach Walt. And if Coach Walt says, okay, here's the play we're gonna do because we're trying to advance the runner they don't understand strategy and stuff like that. I mean, you're sitting there, you're, you're yelling, you're screaming at them, but you've got to remember, well, they're only eight or nine years old. And yeah, you've got them all together, you're telling them something, you're looking them right in the eye, but, oh, a butterfly over there or something like that. And They're eight, they're nine years old. And you've taught them a hundred times, when you swing, shift your weight, go through your hips, and they're just going to swing like that. That's why I only did it one year. Wherever it is that you're leading in life, the difference between what you wish they could do and what they're capable of is always going to be huge. And a shepherd adapts to what they can do, not living in the angry, idealistic world of what they should do. Doesn't that make sense? Otherwise, you're going to be a frustrated leader. You see this, by the way, in parents. Some parents just drive their children because they have this dream they had this dream, usually it's an unfulfilled dream that was back in their day. They had this dream for their, and this goal for their kid instead of looking and saying, well, what does what my kid want? Or what is, what is my kid's aptitude for things? When our kids come into our family, for those of us that have children, we all have these dreams and we all have that kind of picture in our head of, of life as, as we think it's supposed to be and, and how they're going to respond. We do the same thing in marriage. We do the same thing when we move to a new job or, or work situation. We get this picture of what, the, what our ideal is like and we set about trying to make it that way. But the problem is in marriage, in parenting, in work, with a team, in ministry, with a bunch of kids you're trying to, uh, to lead, to pour your life into, the dream over here and the people over here aren't always going to match up. And sooner or later, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to decide if you're going to give up your idealistic dream, and meet the people where they are, or if you're going to run roughshod over the people. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in, in marriage counseling, seen someone tear up their spouse because they don't match the dream that, they're, that, that, that they have for their marriage. Or they tear up their kids because the, the, the dream that they have that they're trying to live through their kids is more important. Or they tear up their employees because, because they, their dream of their business and what their business should be is more important. Or they tear up their flock in a church. We gotta make a choice. And as a shepherd understands that running water is just as good, maybe better, but I'm going to dam up that little creek to create a pool where you're able to drink from it. Yes, you have to stretch them, okay? I'm not talking about coddling people. Those of you that know me know that that's not me, Uh, but you do have to stretch them. You have to start where they are and build realistic expectations. Now, I've got some verses listed there in your life notes, and you can look them up later. Hebrews 4, where, where it talks about Jesus sympathizing with our weaknesses, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where it says that God will never allow us to be tested beyond what we were able, or, or Colossians 3.21, a good one for parents, where, where Paul writes and says to dads, don't embitter your children because it'll, it'll, it'll cause discouragement in them. It's always about the sheep, not the shepherd. It means I'm willing to be misunderstood. It means I'm willing to adapt to their limitations. I'll stretch people, but I won't break them. And number four, it means this. It means I'm unwilling to let one sheep destroy the flock. I'm unwilling to let one sheep destroy the flock. If you're going to lead wisely, you've got to understand that the whole is more important than the individual. And that kind of goes against the grain of our Western individualistic uh, mentality here in the United States. I'm unwilling to let one sheep destroy the flock. If our uh, one lamb in the flock gets a contagious disease of, of some sort or whatever, what do they do? They, they quarantine, they, they isolate that sheep. They don't let the disease spread and impact the whole flock. Well, for us as human beings, it's, it's more about relational cancers. Have you ever worked in a place where, where there's someone who is poisonous to the environment, or maybe you've been in a church where that took place. Well, Listen to what Scripture says in Proverbs 22.10. Solomon wrote these words, and God said Solomon's a pretty wise guy, okay? He says, drive out the mocker, and out goes the strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Those of you, I know we've got at least a couple school teachers here. Can one kid really wreck a class? Yeah, if you don't take care of it, a kid can wreck a class. Sometimes we have structures where you can't handle that, you can't do that. But let's say that we're in a little more of an idealistic world where you have the freedom. Guess what? You drive the mocker out, you isolate them, and then everything's good for the rest of the people. Solomon also said this about leadership. He said, a wise king winnows out the wicked. He just gets rid of them. Now, this is often a bigger challenge for, for some of us as, as followers of Jesus than it, than it is those of the world, and here's why. You see, we sometimes think of Jesus who, who came for, for us, uh, for, for, for losers like us, who, who Jesus was patient with people like us, and therefore we think that by extension we always got, you know, there's no lines in the sand. And what we end up doing is we end up enabling toxic behavior. We forget that Jesus did draw some lines in the sand. And when we do that, we end up with people who are relationally cancerous. And we think that being like Jesus, that we don't need to do anything about it. Well, we do. There are people who are what we might call EGR people, extra grace required people. And when you have an extra grace required person, that's an opportunity for you to learn and, 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 and what it means to bear along with one another, to, to put the needs and interests as more important than your own to forgive and, and all that. But there are EGRs which cross the line to being absolutely toxic and poisonous. And it's amazing to me how often we are unwilling to deal with that kind of situation. In the New Testament, in Titus 3.10, it says, You warn a divisive person once, you warn him twice, and then you get rid of him. That's what it says. It sounds like harsh words, but that's what you do. Now, if we did that in our businesses, in our departments, in our youth leagues, in our schools, if we had the guts to do it in our churches, it'd be amazing how much healthier we would be. If you think like a shepherd, you're not going to let one lamb take down the whole flock. That's thinking like a shepherd. Now, let's go to the second thing we need in order to lead well. Again, back to 1 Peter. He said, shepherd the flock. Then he continues in verse 2. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you were willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. The second principle is this, serve with enthusiasm. Did you ever have a leader who complained all the time about everything and, and to everyone? And if you're, if you're really going to think like a shepherd, you're not whining about it. You don't have to be a shepherd. You could go do something else. It doesn't mean that you don't have challenges. Leadership is going to have challenges. And a good leader has some, some key close people that he or she can complain to, that he can unload to and, and talk to. But it's not necessarily the sheep. That's not the people you should be unloading to and, and, and talking to. You should be talking to, to, to a trusted counselor or something. But we're going to have challenges. And, but I've seen some people that, that I sit there and I wonder, why in the world did you seek leadership? Why did, you, why did you take this position or why did you, you want to do this? Because if you can't embrace it and if you can't embrace it eagerly, and eagerly, by the way, I mean to eagerly serve, not to be the grand pum-pa above everybody else, but if you can't do it with a, with a heart of service, then, then why are you doing it? If you can't willingly embrace that and say, I get to serve, I get to serve. Serving is a, is a privilege that we need to embrace. But if you're in more of a structured leadership role and you're whining and complaining about it, then my advice would be to quit because you can never lead while you're whining and complaining. You've got to eagerly embrace serving. It's kind of like having a dog. If you don't want to pick up the poop, don't get a dog, okay? You'll figure that out by this afternoon. If you don't want to be taken advantage of, don't lead because that's what service is. Service is giving more than you get, at least in this life. The moment you're living in the zone where your focus is not on what a privilege it is to serve, what a privilege it is to lead, but if you're focusing on how tough it is to lead, you've lost your perspective and you've lost your bearing. So he tells people that are leading, he's saying, hey guys, gals, as refugees scattered, some of you with with your lives in danger, do it willingly. And be eager, not to lead, but be eager to serve. If not, step out of the role. No whining, no complaining. Matthew 20, chapter 20, it's in your life notes there. Jesus said, here's how spiritual leadership works. And and leadership in my kingdom, in any role, it works this way. If you want to move up the food chain, you serve. You serve people. If you want to be at the top, you've got to be a slave of all. You've got to be a servant. Or consider what Solomon wrote in Proverbs twenty twenty eight. He collected these Proverbs for his son. Rehoboam was the next king there in, in Judah. And he says, Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. So love and, and faithfulness or dependability. He says, if you're in a leadership role, if you're the king and your people know that you're loving them, their needs and interests are more important than your own. And if you're dependable, if you do what you say you're going to do, They're going to want to keep you in that role forever. But if you don't, then they're going to want your throne, and they're going to want you off the throne. And unfortunately, that's what happened to Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And the kingdom was was split. Whether a ministry, a company, or a little league team, it's all the same. Serve with enthusiasm. The next one is lead by example. In verse 3, Peter says, Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to your flock. Shepherds don't drive their sheep. They lead their sheep. You lead sheep through the valley of the shadow of death to the point to where the, the green pastures are. President and General Dwight D. Eisenhower used to use a great illustration for this. He would take a table or a, or a desk in front of him and he'd, he'd lay down a piece of string And he'd pull on the string and he said, here's how leadership works. It's easy when you're at the front end of the string, leading the string where to go. But if you try to push a string, try to push a string, you're going to have just a a big mess on your hand. You're going to have a wad of string. And that's how life is if you're leading anything. If you're out front, if you're setting the example, people will follow at least usually people will be following not everybody may not follow but people will follow if you're out front that type of leader but if you're in the back if you're trying to order them lording it over them telling them what to do just sending memos and not knowing what's going on on the ground floor you're going to end up with a with a mess and in parenting your your kids are they're going to become more what you what you show them than what you tell them because because it's really character is is caught not necessarily taught Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 6. He said, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Lead by example, because you are going to get what you are. You're not going to get what you order. The fourth and last trait, have a long-range perspective, comes from verse 4 here. If you're going to lead well, you have to have a long-range perspective. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Not until Jesus returns. He's speaking to people who are in a ministry role. He's speaking to to wise leaders that that know that the real reward comes later. Poor leaders, they want the reward right now. They want the reward today. If you're going to do ministry for the Lord, whether it's professional ministry or, or lay ministry... You've you've got a a large thing that you're leading or a small thing that you're leading. You have to understand this, that the reward comes in heaven. Everything here is like an appetizer. Over my years in the military, I attended many social functions and cocktail parties in, in many different countries, and it was really cool when the appetizers were good. But you never mistake the appetizers for the main course. The blessings we get now, if we get them... They're appetizers and if we don't get any blessings right now it's okay dinners still coming dinners still coming right now this isn't the banquet when the chief shepherd returns that's when the banquet begins and wise leadership always has that long-range perspective it's true for parents in the home you know, you don't judge how well your, your kid is um, just because they won some third grade spelling bee or, or just because they were, you know, student of the month at their, at their local elementary school. Yeah, it's okay to affirm kids and all that. But the way some of the things I see, you know, I, I don't know, get mad at me if you will, but I, I find this, this kindergarten graduation things with caps and gowns, I've never understood that. We need to judge things by the long term. We can't, you can't judge your business by how well you did this quarter. You need to look at the long haul. If I'm going to buy your business, I'm not just going to look at one quarter's earnings. I'm going to look at at the statistics, how you've been doing over the last couple of years. What's the trajectory of your growth of your business? You know, we live in in an instant culture there where we just take these small periods and we base our decisions on that. We need to have a long-range perspective. A little word picture here, and I didn't put it in your notes, but you might want to write it down. Think like a glacier, not an avalanche. Think like a glacier, not an avalanche. When an avalanche hits, you know it, and it makes a big impact. Uh, but, but you go back 10 years later, and it's like, what avalanche? But a glacier? You watch over a 1,000-year period, and you have something beautiful like, like Yosemite, You see, we all overestimate what we can do in one year, and we tend to underestimate what we can do over time, over five to ten years. It's just where we live. And wise leaders have a long range perspective. In fact, I'll close with this little thought if you can't live with delayed gratification, you're going to have a tough time leading. Because the rewards of ministry, the rewards of community service, the rewards of the workplace, the rewards of of parenthood or or motherhood, fatherhood or grandparenthood, all those things, they come later. And Peter tells a group of, of house church leaders, he says, do it willingly. Do it as an example. Think like a shepherd. And when the chief shepherd comes, it's banquet time. Joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.